morning, everybody. It's good to be with you guys. It's a huge blessing to give something back to a congregation that's given so very much to me. Um, But I want to remind you that as we continue, we continue worshiping. Uh, Worshiping doesn't end when that last note of the piano fades off into the air. Uh, We worship as we preach sermons and as we listen to sermons. So continue and worship with me now. We'll be in 1 Peter. Uh, Last time I was here, we're at the beginning. Now we're at the end. I worked through 1 Peter over the summer down in Chula Vista at Bayview OPC uh, with the internship there. And uh, as, as I was working through this text, I thought, you know, this would be a good text really to bring anywhere. Uh, a text that spoke to me and I hope will speak to you as well. So we'll be in chapter 5 of 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 5. We'll read from verse 1 on through verse 7. This is the word of our God. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to your elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Please pray with me. Holy Spirit, we beg that you would be with us now. We beg that you would show us the glories of Christ here in your word, that you would illuminate it unto us. We recognize, Lord, that illumination... It's not a right of ours. We don't deserve it. But we pray, Lord, that you would show your merciful hand here. You would help us to understand your word and apply it to our lives and live lives more and more holy, more and more consecrated unto you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Sometimes people will say something to you that you never forget. And sometimes it's the person that's saying it. Sometimes it's the way that it's said. Sometimes it's because it's so timely and it just fits your circumstance. Like I remember being maybe four or five and my grandpa was at my house and he's, he's working on the house, doing some construction work. And he'd come up to me and he'd say, you know, Eli, I got this, this piece of wood and I cut it twice and it's still too short. And, and that, that really, it shaped my humor from that point onward. Uh, but also, maybe on a more serious note, I, I remember having an elder come up to me in this congregation. He said, Eli, you and your peers, you're the next generation of the church. You need to think about that. You and, and some of your friends may end up leading this congregation or other congregations. 
And it'll be through your generation and the generation that follows and the one after that the church will move on through the ages. And that, that kind of stuck with me. Or even I was talking to a friend about a month ago who's an older man now, but when he was about my age, he lost his father and his mother within two years. A friend wrote him a letter. said, you know what, friend? God must really love you. God must really love you because the Lord disciplines those who he loves. He chastises every son whom he receives. And it's these kind of things that stick with us. These, maybe even a few words put right, the right time, the right circumstance, that direct our lives one way or the other. And as we get into Peter, we remember that this is the Peter who the Lord addressed on the shore. He's the one who said to him, Simon, Son of John, do you love me more than these, the the food they were eating? And he said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Feed my lambs. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Tend to my sheep. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. He said, feed my sheep. Now, some 30 years later, the Apostle Peter is ministering to this congregation, a congregation that's been ostracized, pushed out of society. Uh, They're suffering not from um, the persecution necessarily of the civil magistrate, but they're suffering because of social persecution, pushed out of jobs and houses and homes, pushed out of their town because they named the name of Christ. And Peter, as he's, he's, he's exhorting them, saying, you know, you're new people in the gospel. You've come to know Messiah. You're Jesus people. You're the beloved of God. He stops. He's teaching them how to uh, suffer well. He's not teaching them how to necessarily avoid suffering, but to suffer well as Christians. And he takes a break. And from verse 1 through 5 of chapter five, or 1 through 7 of chapter 5, He teaches them about humility. Why? Well, suffering doesn't necessarily produce humility. There's some people you can see in our society, maybe in our own ranks, who have suffered a lot, and there's no humility there. But more importantly, if you're not humble, you won't suffer well. If you don't have real Christian humility, you won't really be able to suffer for Christ's sake. And then we look at ourselves. We, we look at ourselves and we see that we're pretty prideful people, if we're being honest. I think every one of you has been raised in a culture where actually, actually pride is seen as a virtue. You know, I, I remember listening to a Christian radio show just about a year ago, and the guy said, Call in. Tell me why you're proud to be an American. And I wanted to call and say, hey, this is a Christian radio show. Pride is a sin. We can be thankful for the many mercies that God gives us, but we shouldn't be proud. We shouldn't be proud, uh, maybe for our generations. Uh, Proud to be a baby boomer, proud to be a millennial or Gen Z or whatever. 
Christians shouldn't be prideful. And if we don't have humility and really cultivate true Christian humility, we won't be able to suffer well. We won't really be able to live in God's house well. So what I want to look at today is that you and I need to adorn ourselves in humility. We need to clothe ourselves in humility. And first we'll look at elders, uh, which is where Peter goes from verse 1 through 4. Uh, then he takes a shift and, and, and points the, the arrows at me and my generation. But then he says, all of you. Okay, so we're going to look at elders. We're going to look at me and my peers, the younger people. But we all need humility. We all need humility. So first, you elders, you are to shepherd the flock primarily as sheep of the chief shepherd himself. You shepherd the flock primarily as sheep of the chief shepherd. Because Peter exhorts the elders as an elder. You know, the, the office of apostle and elder are brought close in the man, Peter. But he says, I, so I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness to the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker the glory that is going to be revealed. You see, all the apostles are elders in the early church. That doesn't mean that all uh, elders are apostles. That, that age of apostleship only lives on in the word. They've gone to be with God in glory. But Peter addresses them as a fellow elder. He comes and highlights the fact that he is an elder, and he says, listen to me because I'm an apostle, but learn from me as an elder. Learn from me as a fellow elder. He's not a super Christian. He's not a pastor's pastor. He's not a vicar of Christ, but he's a fellow elder. And he gives his credentials. What are his credentials? He says, a witness of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker of the future glory. Well, by witness, I think what he means is that he's a testifier. He's a witnesser. He's the one who goes throughout the world and proclaims the sufferings of Christ. Christ has suffered on the cross. He's paid for your sins and for for my sins if you come to him in the gospel. He's really saying, I'm a gospel preacher. I witness to the world that Christ is the one who has suffered. But he also says he's a partaker of the future glory. What does he mean by that? I I think there's kind of two things happening here. I think he's thinking backward. He's also looking forward. Because this is the apostle that actually saw the Lord transfigured. He saw him in all his glory. And he's saying, guys, I've seen it. I've seen the Lord. And he's beautiful. And he's glorious. He's mighty and majestic. He's the Lord over the universe, and and the veil was taken away from my eyes, and I saw it with my own eyes. But at the same time, I'm a partaker of that future glory when he returns and shows the whole world his radiance, his glory, his majesty, and his power. I partake in that now by the Spirit. I live according to that future glory. You know, he has many earthly reasons that he might boast. 
You know, he's seen what few have seen. He's an apostle of the king of the universe. Yet he says to the elders that he's writing to, and he says, to you elders, I'm one of you. He kind of comes down to our level. He says, I, I'm, I'm with you. He puts his arms around you. Paul and Dan and Scott and Dale and Mick and Mike Gregg, uh, Mike you, uh, Pastor Schroeder. He comes and says, I'm one of you. He says, let me show you how to be an elder. Let me show you what I have learned. First, you are to feed the flock by exercising oversight. This is the Lord's command to Peter, be that, that shepherd of the sheep, exercising oversight. But you are to do it with all humility. With all humility. He brings up that idea of being a shepherd, right? Which means you should be... One, you should be the the shepherd that with your staff you fight off the wolves. You protect the flock. You you put out evil from from your midst. But also, you're the shepherd that walks mile after mile to go to that weak sheep that strayed with the broken leg, pick them up and say, let me take you back to the chief shepherd. Let me take you to the water where you might drink, the grass you might eat and be filled, which means really just taking them back to the Lord. But they're also not your sheep. They're the Lord's. You know, sometimes we think our loved ones are ours, but then we recognize that they're the Lord's, and and oftentimes we recognize that when the Lord takes them away. And we have to say, Lord, they're yours, and you're free to take them. But it's the same with shepherds and their sheep. They're not yours. It's not your ministry. They're given to you for a time. You're given a responsibility to feed them, but they're the Lord's. Really, to say it's my ministry is demeaning to Christ. You're an under-shepherd of the chief shepherd. But also, shepherds need to be willing Uh, They can't desire compensation, money, which probably isn't the big temptation in our circles. Uh, But what about status? How many men have entered in to being elders because they're they're looking to be uh, seen as as someone of status, high in the ranks? You know, 1 Timothy 3 says it's a good thing to desire to be uh, in the office, but we, we have to ask. Why do you want to be an elder? Do you want to be an elder because you want everyone to look at you and say, well, he's really a holy man. The temptation's there, brothers. Do you want to be an elder because you want to be kind of seen as like the head honcho, uh, the special guy, the guy who really understands his theology or, or really understands how to govern the church? You see, we need humility because pride creeps in at every corner. The fact is that so many churches have been ruined and shipwrecked and destroyed by bad elders. Elders who seek themselves, or those who uh, seek to be uh, those who oversight with compulsion, and those who domineer rather than those who seek to empty themselves 
to pour themselves out into the congregation to feed the sheep even when they're tired because they do it for the Lord. So be eager. Be eager to serve God's people. Really, if, if you want to know like, what's the main highway for your zeal for good, for your love for God, if he's made you an elder, be zealous for God's people. Get up every morning saying, I want to serve God's people. I want to feed them. I want to direct them. I want to dwell with them. I want to share life with them. I want to share the word with them. Be in prayer with them. Well, how do you do this? How do you shepherd in humility, not domineering? He says be an example. Verse 3, not domineering over those in your charge, but being an example to the flock. So he's saying, remember that first you're a sheep. You can't be an elder if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ. So remember, first you're a sheep, and then act like a sheep. You see, if we are to shepherd, we need to be examples. Paul and Dan and Scott, Tracy, Dale, Mick, Mike, Greg, Mike, you, Pastor Mark. But also, I exhort you all would-be elders, men who are, who are looking to be in the office, Aaron and Grant and Jason and Bob and Eddie. If you want to be elders of this church, be really good sheep. Attend the prayer meeting. Be in the Word daily. Lead your household in the Bible. Spend much time preparing for worship. Be obsessed with holiness. That's the kind of man that should be an elder. So make yourself that kind of man. Be the kind of men that live out of Titus 1 and 1 Timothy 3. Read it daily. Make it a description of yourself. Then let them re- the, the elders and the people recognize that you're qualified. Why is it so difficult to get people to come to Bible studies? Or prayer meetings? Or for many churches, evening services? Well, sometimes I think the difficulty is that the session's not really behind it. Sometimes I think it's hard to get people to go to the prayer meeting because there's only one or two session members there. You see, if, if you are a session, if you're, you're the shepherds that don't uh, labor as individuals, but as a session, as a group, as a governing body, the prayer meeting, it's all of yours. The worship service, it's by the session. The evening service, it's by the session. The Bible study, it's commissioned by the session, which means it's yours. You can't be those who say, well, the Wednesday night thing's kind of that guy's, and I'm kind of the, the, the prayer guy, and he's more the, it's all yours. It's all yours. So be there. Attend. And let the sheep follow. Because you're leading by example. And I know, it, we, even just at the beginning of this service, there's a lot of things going on at this church. And there's 101 good reasons to miss a prayer night or a Bible study. I think there's a million and one bad reasons. Usually we find ourselves in that latter category. But your labors are not in vain. You labor really actually for a prize, 
for an unfading crown of glory. That's what he uses to encourage you elders. Pastor Peter, the Apostle Peter, he says, when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. So then the question arises, wait, why isn't it selfish? If I'm laboring, that when the Lord arrives, I might receive that unfading crown of glory. Well, it's not selfish because you labor that the people, that the sheep, might partake in that glory with you. You see, it's all about the glory of God, the, the, the place where God is, where that, that glory radiates all throughout the, the heavens, being with Him. You see, you shepherd as those that say, let's go see the Lord. Let's ascend God's high mountain. Let's worship Him. Let's go to be where God is. When the church services are happening, you're the kind of people that says, i got to be there. There's nothing else I'd rather be doing than being with God and worshiping Him. You see, it's not selfish because you're bringing the sheep to that place, to the still waters, the soft grass where you come and feed on the Lord. You come to see God's glory and to partake in it. It really means that this whole section is about Christ. It's all about the glory of Christ. And sometimes I think the biggest problem in our churches is we don't meditate enough on glory. We don't have a sense of glory. We don't have a sense of how this time right now is holy and glorious. We don't have a sense of how, well, maybe we don't have the sacred space that they had in the Old Covenant, but, but in chapter 2 of Peter, he tells us that we are the sacred space. We've become stones of a living temple And the Spirit of God dwells here. It's sacred, it's holy, and it's glorious, and it's all because of Christ. Which means, I thank you elders, as you shepherd, as you preach, as you teach in Bible studies, as you counsel, as you pray, mention often glory. Not just how glorious God is, but also glory in the sense of eternity. Mention heaven and hell often. Mention the gospel often. If you don't know Christ, you'll go to hell. But he's there for you. He's free. Come to him. Mention that if you do come to Christ, you're not just escaping hell, but you're you're going to glory. To eternal communion with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You see, that'll radically shape the way you shepherd, the way you call back wandering sheep, the way you comfort the sheep that are hurting. You have none of that. You don't first have humility. Elders, you need humility. You need humility. You know, my, uh, one of my professors often says, when the elephants fight, It's the grass that suffers. Elders, if you're fighting, if you don't have humility in the way you act with one another, in the way you act with the congregation, would-be elders, if you're fighting, it's the people that'll suffer. The people that Christ has said, 
you need to feed. And you're taking the food away from their mouth by your fighting. You need humility. But it doesn't stop with the elders. Okay, so I've, I've, I've gone after the elders enough now. <laughs> now we're going to move to me. We're going to move to my peers, to the young people here. That's where Peter moves. See, we young people, but really all of us, we need to adorn ourselves in humility, as our elders do, as they should. We need to be those that so clothe ourselves in humility that we actually begin more and more to start looking like Christ. But Peter highlights the young people. He says, you young people need to adorn yourselves in humility. In verse 5, he says, yet likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. See, Peter knows that as corrupt people, we like to overturn authority. God places authority above us. And in our hearts, we just like to overturn it. We naturally like to fight against it. We like to do that with our elders. But he addresses the young people, not because they're the only ones that need humility, but so often young people particularly need humility. There's this book, um, Thoughts for Young Men by J.C. Ryle, excellent book. Every one of you young people should read it. It talks a lot about pride and humility. But as I read it, I'm like, this is just thoughts for people. This is what we all need. And Peter's got a similar logic there. The young people, you really need humility, but, but we all need humility. Now, what is really humility? We could say it's the opposite of pride. Or we could say positively, it's just recognizing our own creatureliness. Recognizing that who we are before God. Recognizing that pretty proud before the face of God Almighty. You know, I prepared for this backpacking trip a few weeks ago, and I was told that there is a high number of bears in the Sierra Nevadas where we were planning to go, where we went about a week ago. And I started thinking, like, ooh, bears, kind of scary. I don't, I, don't, I don't want to run into any bears. We even had one member who saw a bear somersaulting through the woods, which I guess bears do. But it, it started making me think, Remember Elisha? Remember the children who mocked the servant of the Lord? The authority figure that had been placed over them, commissioned by the Lord to bring the word? They called him Baldy, and the Lord sent bears to maul them. I was thankful that we didn't have any bald people on my trip, (laughs) but it I started thinking to myself, how many people in my generation, or how about myself, do we deserve to be mauled by bears by the way we talk about our elders? Do we deserve to be mauled by bears because of our uh, outright anti-authoritarianism? Let it never be one of us brothers and sisters, young people in this congregation. But rather, clothe yourselves in humility. You know, sometimes I think what we need to do as young people is just maybe be quiet. 
Maybe listen. Maybe learn. So I even think it's like I'm 26. Been in the kingdom 26 years, but there's people in this congregation who've spent a lot more time in the kingdom and a lot more time with the king, and I can learn from you. Brothers and sisters, it's the same for you if you're young like me. But then he moves so quickly within that same verse. But all of you, clothe yourselves in humility. He says, um, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. Why? Because God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. See, suffering, like we said earlier, doesn't necessarily produce humility, but the gospel does. The gospel shows us what we really are, dirty sinners. You know, we sing, nothing in my hands I bring, but that's not even true. It's worse. We bring sin. We bring filth. We like vomit sin all over ourselves again and again and again, and we think we deserve much, but we deserve nothing. You know, I want to say we're like dogs, but that wouldn't be fair to the dogs. We're much worse. We've offended the holy, holy, holy God. We've broken his law. We've sinned against him. Which means that in the gospel... Realizing that we bring nothing. We add nothing. It's all about Christ. We're all leveled. doesn't matter if you're a baby boomer or a millennial or a Gen X or whatever. You're all leveled. We're all sinners who need a Savior. We're all blood-washed sinners if we've come to know Christ. Which means why would you discredit the young people? Why would you discredit the older people? Why not just adorn yourselves in humility? Because all that you have, you have received by grace. He says that God is the one that opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. And it's not really new to Peter here. It's not even new to his circumstances being raised in Judaism It's been so ingrained in the Jewish mind that God opposes the proud, but but he uh, brings grace to the humble, that he just brings it up. Even in the ESV, it it makes a quote, even though there's not really a direct quote of this in the Old Testament. But it's it's become quotable. It's become idiomatic. It's a phrase that would just come to the Jewish mind, and it should come to our minds. That God is the one that opposes the proud and brings grace to the humble. You might even think like the the Joseph story, which maybe we could call that the Joseph-Judah story because it's about both of them. Remember Judah? Sells his brother into slavery. Proud. The Lord, in his grace, humbles him through that incident with Tamar. And then he exalts him at the end. It's not Joseph that receives the blessing. It's Judah, the greater blessing of the firstborn. And Judah's the fourthborn. You see, the three brothers before him disqualified themselves by their pride, by their sinfulness, by their unworthiness to receive the blessing. 
Yet Judah receives it because he's been humbled. Because the Lord graciously taught him who he is. And he really, he moved from a, a brother who would sell his own brother into slavery to a brother that would actually give up his own life to save his brother Benjamin. And you could go to passage after passage throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament that brings up this idea. But it's so ingrained in the Apostle Peter, and it should be also ingrained in our minds, that God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to those who are humble. And if we don't want to oppose God and only fools oppose God, we must be humble. And we, we do this, according to Peter, by trusting that God will exalt us in due time. You know, we, we've talked about suffering last time I was uh, here. You know, your family may reject you. Your neighbors may reject you. Your society could reject you. Your own circumstances just, just rip open your heart and you're brought down to your knees in sorrow. One of the big themes of Peter is that You're a friend of God. You're accepted by God in Christ. Which means the the world can throw sand in your eyes. Your own heart can rip in half because of your sorrows. But it's worth it because you know God. You can persevere through this time because you know the Lord. It's one of the main themes really in the Bible. He says in in verse 6, Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God that at the proper time he may exalt you. But then he moves on. He really says because of the gospel we can cast our worries on God. You see, we only humble ourselves because of the gospel. Right? Humility. It comes from regeneration. The Spirit works in our hearts, gives us new hearts, eyes to see what we really are before God Almighty, and it humbles us. We say, God, I need you, I'm worthless, I don't deserve you, but have mercy on me, a sinner. And because, we've, because of the gospel, because we've come to know God Almighty, we can cast all of our anxieties on him. Whatever happens, we can cast our worries on God. He says, casting all your anxieties on him. Why? Because he cares for you. You know, I'm, one of, I'm a member of one of the most anxious generations that the West has seen. And in a lot of ways, things are kind of easy for us compared to some generations. I don't know exactly why we're so anxious, but we are. We complain we worry. Depression rates are through the roof. But there's only one thing that will ultimately fix it. It's knowing that God cares for you. Brothers, it's knowing that the God of the universe, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the, the covenantal God, the God that dwells with his people, cares for you. Why, why can't we get that in our minds? God cares for you in Christ. And we go out those doors and we start worrying again. We forget all about that. God cares for you in Christ. Recognize that. Recognize that. And that will reshape your, 
your whole identity, which will reshape the way you look at your anxieties and your worries and your troubles. And you'll say, it's all worth it because God cares for me. Because God is that God that chastises those whom he loves. God is the God that exalts his people on his timing. So I'm going to cast myself on the creator, king, God that I know in Jesus Christ. We need humility to do this. What I want to brand on your hearts today is that you need humility. You need to be, as as Peter says, clothed in humility, adorned with humility. And we're a generation that thinks a lot about the way we dress. The right tie and my own style. Or maybe you're the kind of person that says, I don't really have a style. Well, that's a style too now. We think a lot about what we put on the outside. Peter says, think about how you adorn yourselves internally. He says, think about adorning yourselves in humility. Make that who you are, which really means you're adorning yourselves in Christ. Elders, adorn yourselves in Christ. Young people, adorn yourselves. Put on the the jacket of Christ. Men and women, clothe yourselves in Christ. That's what will transform marriages, transform relationships between uh, generations. It's adorning ourselves in the humility of the Lord. So can we do this together? Can we adorn ourselves with Christ in humility? Let's pray. Our holy God, we recognize that we so often forget your love. Because that, we don't live gospel-shaped lives. We don't live in humility. We become anxious. And then so quickly, we look to overturn authorities. We look to discredit other generations, young or old. Those people that think we have it all figured out, but we don't. Lord, we thank you that in the gospel we've been humiliated, as it were, because it makes so much of Christ so little of us. And we pray, Lord, that Christ would be exalted, that we'd be forgotten by the world, that we would die in graves with no name, but because we know the Lord Jesus Christ, we have everything. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.